Welcome to the Fitness Pain-Free Show, where I help physical therapists learn how to get their clients out of pain and back to training the gym. My name is Dan Pope, and I'll be your instructor. I'm a physical therapist, coach, and fellow meetup. I love training just as much as you do and want to help you get all of your patients out of pain and back to the gym where they belong. Hey, what's going on guys? This is Dan from Fitness Pain Free. Today we're going over a case study of a prior patient of mine who had femoral acetabular impingement and they were a power lifter. Alrighty, let's get rolling. So first and foremost, thank you so much for all of the support. You allow me to do what I love for a living. My name is Dan Pope. I'm a physical therapist, I'm a coach, personal trainer, and I am a meathead. This is the Fitness Pain-Free Show where we help coaches and physical therapists like you get your patients out of pain and back to training. If you're watching us on YouTube, please, please, please hit that like button, leave a comment, and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening via podcast, give me a positive rating and review. If you want to go that extra step and support me further, consider subscribing to Fitness Pain for Insiders. It's a comprehensive educational resource and toolkit for the fitness and rehab professional. Think Netflix, but for trainers and physical therapists. All the content is premium, and it's uploaded by me, yours truly. I've been updating this uh, once a month for the past five or so years. You've got over 100 webinars, ebooks, and complete guides. You have access to a private Facebook group to have all of your questions answered by me. You can also decide topics for upcoming podcasts, fitness pain-free shows. You can get started for just $1, right? So if you want a week-long trial, excuse me, trial, just $1. After that, it's a uh, subscription membership of $9.99 per month, so not very expensive. You can cancel anytime. So if you want to get started, head to fitnesspainfree.com, click on the programs link, and then click on Fitness Pain-Free Insiders Online Library. Okay, let's get going on this case study today. So when I first worked with this individual, what was the subjective part of the evaluation? Well, he's a 26-year-old male. He is a recreational powerlifter, and he lifts probably about three to four times per week. And this is really his first competition, okay? So he's one of those guys that really likes the idea of powerlifting but never really got around to signing up for a competition. And he did, and this is his first competition. He really took it seriously in terms of training. I think he purchased an, an online program somewhere. I don't remember exactly where uh, it was from. It's probably one of the reasons why he got hurt. I'm not trying to hate on people or any programs or anything. Um, but he was an, an ex-athlete, all right? So he's done a lot of training in the past, and he's currently a strength coach, so he knows a lot about training, but he's not a powerlifter and hasn't done it for years. He had a gradual onset of left-sided hip pain, and it started with sumo deadlifts, let's say about three months ago. And it started with a higher volume powerlifting program. So looking at his program, he was doing five, six, seven, eight sets of deadlifts all in one session and just a lot of total volume throughout the course of the week. Volume and intensity is often a double-edged sword. It can help you get stronger, right? But if you do too much, it can get you hurt as well. It hurt him mostly during sumo deadlifts, but eventually things like squatting started to bother him. So as the pain got worse, other movements started to hurt that initially didn't. Squatting is one of those. Prolonged sitting was another one, especially driving, getting in and out of cars hurt. So sitting, lifting up that leg, going over the edge, trying to get out of the car, that bothered it. And here's the thing. I would consider him not especially irritable, right? Here's the thing for some of those folks. So it, oftentimes these guys will kind of ignore this pain because it's starting to affect them a little bit with sitting. It doesn't hurt that bad. They can still train, uh, although it's probably a serious issue. Um, this was a smart individual because he came to see me before it became something uh, worse. Uh, but what I will say in my experience, a lot of folks will let this go for longer and they end up being in a worse position because of that. So this competition coming up, 
He's not particularly competitive. This is his first competition. He's not worried about this competition. He wants what's best for his hip. So he has minimal ego, and he's basically willing to say, hey, I don't need to do this competition. I can forego this, which is great because we don't have run to that problem of trying to push through pain and hoping that things don't get worse, right? It's also very coachable. When I tell him to do something, he listens to me and goes through the program as written, which is phenomenal, right? Makes my job a lot easier. Uh, getting this better is a pretty high priority. He has a career as a strength coach and trainer, and he really values his health, okay? And that's awesome because it's really going to lead to people following their home program and listening to my advice and probably making things uh, run just a little more smoothly. What I will say is this is not always the case. You have some individuals, um, especially athletic folks, where they feel the pain and their coping strategy is denial, and they just keep on blowing through pain and eventually gets to the point where they can't train anymore, and then they have to confront this problem. That wasn't him. He was... Uh, he was valuing uh, my services, which is phenomenal, and just showing me that he wants to take care of this a little bit sooner than some other folks uh, will let it go. In terms of training age, like I said, he is, he's new to powerlifting, but he has a, a large athletic background of uh, baseball and then curling. Uh, so curling, I guess, is bigger in Canada. And if you know anything about curling, when you are curling, your trail side leg is in kind of full end range extension. And he actually believes that some of his issues may have originated from that at some point in his past, right? With that being said, he has about, let's say, 8 to 10 years worth of strength training under his belt, mostly training for sports. And powerlifting, it's been a little less than about six months that he's been training. His goals are basically to figure out the best option moving forward, right? What do I do? Continue training, stop training, rehab, do I need surgery? What's, what's the best way um, of progressing, right? And then he wants to get back to exercise. And yeah, he'd eventually like to get back to powerlifting, but it's not a huge priority at this point. So objective examination, what do we find? So when we start doing strength tests around the hip, so hip flexion, adduction, abduction, excuse me, adduction, uh, extension, uh, external internal rotation, nothing is painful. And he was uh, particularly strong in all those areas. I wouldn't say anything was really weak, right? I didn't use a handheld dynamometer, but uh, really nothing stood out from that perspective, right? In terms of range of motion at the hip, he had pain and range flexion, which is super common in these folks, right? When we get to the end range of hip flexion, we're creating a little bit of impingement. If that area is irritated, maybe it gives you some pain. He was limited with internal rotation, and that worsens with flexion. So if you bring your leg up into hip flexion and then into internal rotation, that would create some slight pain, all right? Which makes sense, too, because if you do have, let's say, a small labral tear, big labral tear, excuse me, tear, uh, cam deformity, you're bringing the cam into contact with acetabulum. If that's a, a tear there or it's painful or symptomatic, you can create some symptoms, excuse me, symptoms. From a regional interdependence standpoint, how about the other joints above and below, what's going on? He's a stiff guy, right? So he has poor ankle mobility. He had poor shoulder mobility, T-spine mobility, right? And hip mobility. And the reason why this is important is that if you're stiff in a lot of other joints, then you're going to force extra motion to occur at the hip joint. And this extra motion is what gets these folks into problems in the first place, typically, right? So in terms of looking at his technique, I didn't look at his technique then because, you know, he's painful. I don't want to, you know, load uh, these lifts up and, and kind of provoke his issues. But we did look at a lot of old training videos. And if you look at his sumo deadlift, I think it's important to look at. Um, he had a moderate to wide stance. So you see some folks, when they pull sumo, they have an extremely wide stance with a lot of external rotation. And this is obviously to shorten the range of motion and get in a, a nice strong biomechanical position. But that's also quite a bit more stress on the hip. He didn't have that. Right, he was he was moderately wide, but not, nothing crazy. Right, the other thing is that he had a neutral pelvis when he was lifting, and the reason why this is important is if you're sitting into anterior pelvic tilt and you have a lot lot of lumbar extension, 
that will bring the pelvis down into the acetabulum. The ball kind of bumps into the socket a little bit sooner and create more issues. He didn't really have that. But when he did pull, his hip shot kind of up and back a little bit at the initial pull. And what this can do is it can increase hip flexion, which will increase impingement within the hip. So that could be a potential driver of symptoms over the course of time. So the squat was actually pretty solid when we looked over it. He had solid depth. He was going below parallel. He's not going extreme. He kept a neutral pelvis, which is great. And he had a moderate to wide stance with toe out. And when we ended up uh, evaluating his, his hip flexion, trying to find what the best squat stance would be for him, he's already assuming the position in his hip that gives him the maximum range of motion. So I actually thought that was pretty good. And the same thing occurs in the squat as a deadlift. His hips kind of shoot up and back slightly when he comes out of the hole, which I don't know is a bad thing from a performance perspective, but from a hip pain perspective, it does increase the stress on the hip, right? And it also does flex the hip more. So those two things can increase impingement. He didn't have any weird uh, hip shifts or weight shifts side to side or anything like that. So lastly, um, so this patient did come in with some imaging, right? Uh, and this is not too common for me. Usually I see folks before they get any imaging, but he actually went to his primary care doc, uh, got some imaging, got an x-ray and then an MRI. And yes, he did have a cam deformity, right? So extra um, bone on the ball portion of the ball and socket joint. And he had a labral tear as well. And he had normal joint space and normal amounts of cartilage, which is a good thing, right? So if you guys are familiar with some of the labral pathology, CAM pathology research, these are actually quite common and can be asymptomatic, although the clinical exam does kind of match up with what the MRI is finding, right? From a palpation perspective, he was tender palpation on the rectus femoris and the TFL. I find this a lot. So folks, after they are developing FAI, they will have a lot of tenderness in certain muscles around the hip. A uh, big one is the rec fem as well as the TFL, right? What I will say is that these are constantly misdiagnosed as a hip flexor strain. I think because they're tender in this area, people point to their pain in the front of the hip by the hip flexor. A lot of times it hurts with resisted hip flexion, right? or flexing the hip in general. So that leads practitioners to believe it's a hip flexor strain. Um, but you'll see in this examination, uh, it probably wasn't, especially with the resistant hip flexion, that didn't hurt in any way. But when we start poking around a little more and do some special tests, we found a positive Faber and a positive failure, right? On top of that, he was reporting to C signs. So basically he's pointing to the front of the hip, around to the groin, putting his hand on the hip joint itself, saying that's what hurts. Lastly, is Craig's test was more or less normal. This is a test to see version of the hip joint, which will influence the amount of toe in or toe out when we're squatting. That's a, that's a topic for another lecture, right? So with all of these tests together, basically we kind of ruled in the femoral acetabular impingement with the labral tear. So we basically agree with the other physicians and agree with the imaging. That's probably what this athlete is dealing with, okay? Now, first and foremost, I think it's important to have a decision-making process, right, with the athlete that's in front of you. And I'm taking some of this research from, looks like, a Prado et al. If you want the link to this or you want the citation to this, it's in the YouTube format, so you can go back. I'll try to put it in the show notes as well. So here's the thing. We know that there's a large percentage of asymptomatic cam deformities and labral tears, right? So the athlete in front of me has pain, so his is symptomatic probably, right? So he doesn't necessarily fall into that group. But just the fact that there are so many asymptomatic folks out there is probably a sign that you can get back to a point where things don't hurt anymore, right? So there's that. If we rehab this appropriately, you might get to the point where this doesn't hurt anymore and we're feeling good, right? And that's great. So the other thing that we do know is that cam deformities and labral 
um, tears, it's written as repairs, that's not right, labral tears, increase the likelihood of total hip replacements, right? And this is a pretty small size, and it comes down to absolute risk versus relative risk, right? So if you have a cam deformity with a labral tear, your likelihood of getting a total hip replacement, I believe, is somewhere around a 3 to 5%, right? So about 95% or so of folks with a cam deformity labral tear will not get a hip replacement. So the large majority of people are fine. However, once you have that cam deformity and labral tear, your incidence of getting a total hip goes up, right? More than someone that doesn't have it. So that's something to think about. And here's the other piece. Patients who underwent hip labral repair or with a cam reduction less than six months out after the symptom onset of hip pain have a better clinical outcome after surgery. So basically, if someone's not getting better quickly, then we should probably refer them to a surgeon because we want to make sure they have the best possible outcome, and that might just be surgery, right? So generally speaking, I tell folks, if we're making no progress in around three months, I want you to return to your surgeon, right, <clears throat> or go to the surgeon if they haven't already. Um, there's one very important caveat. Some folks are just not good at getting rid of the things in their life, in their training, that are causing issues. So if you keep on blasting through sumo deadlifts and deep squats and it keeps on getting irritated every single time you do that, then you're probably not a good surgical candidate yet. You need to do a better job of unloading and repairing the area with some sort of physical therapy, all right? So keep that in mind. Here's the other thing that I like to think about a little bit here. So there aren't very many studies here, and the study I'm citing is by Gatz et al., uh, Arthroscopic Surgery versus Physiotherapy for FAI Syndrome, a meta-analysis study. And there's only three studies that look at this, so it's not a lot, and it's important you understand that. So we'd love to see more studies, and we'd have a better idea of which is better. But what you'll find is that there's a small improvement in surgery versus physical therapy right? So if I want the best possible outcome for my patient, then if they're not getting better fairly rapidly with conservative care, with physical therapy, I probably want to shoot them over to the surgeon because I know that surgery is potentially better, right? But if someone's getting better without surgery and they're feeling great, then I don't necessarily feel compelled to send them to surgery, right? And here's the other piece. So when we're trying to repair someone's labrum and get rid of that cam deformity, what we're trying to do is obviously get out of pain and get back to activity, but we're trying to extend the lifespan of that hip. So if I repair the labrum, if I uh, shave down the cam deformity, there's a chance that over the course of time, I'll get less wear and tear, less osteoarthritis than someone that keeps that labral tear and doesn't do anything about the cam deformity, right? Well, at least in these studies, there's no change in risk of a total hip replacement, but the studies went out somewhere between like eight months and the, one of the studies went out at two, uh, two years, right? Which is not enough time to see whether or not surgery prevents hip osteoarthritis, right? So basically we don't know. And this is, you know, a little sad because I'm not a hip surgeon, so it's easy for me. If someone asked me, should I get the surgery versus not because I want to avoid hip osteoarthritis for the long term, I don't have a great answer for them because we don't know this via the research quite yet, right? What I will say is that if your pain levels are severely limiting you and conservative treatment is not going well, then it might be worthwhile to go see a doc and get that surgery, okay? Either way, my general recommendation is that if you're not making significant progress within about three months, we're going to return to the surgeon or go to the surgeon. If I'm making pretty good progress by the three-month mark, I can say, all right, let's keep on rehabbing. This is moving in the right direction. But if it's staying the same in terms of pain and or progressing and getting worse, and we need to send back to the surgeon at that point because it might be a surgical candidate. So at least for this individual, we started off with conservative physical therapy. And uh, spoiler alert, he actually did quite well with that. So there was no need for him to see a surgeon at the end. 
So how about plan of care and treatment? So my plan in a nutshell, and this kind of goes for almost every single patient that I see in the clinic, is I wanna calm the area down, I wanna slowly build strength and control back into those provocative positions, and for most folks, that's going to be end range flexion and rotation. For this patient, it was flexion and external rotation or extension and external rotation, uh, like you see in the sumo deadlift, right? basically trying to build trust back with the body. So what we've done is we've violated your body's trust. You've utilized a position too much and too extreme a range of motion, whatever it is, we cause some damage. Your body's like, I don't like this. It creates a bunch of pain. We have to get the area as strong as we can, build back the control into flexion and rotation, get nice and strong so the body doesn't feel like it has to give us more pain, right, in the future. And we basically modify technique if need be. There's a lot of ways to get people to feel better. One of those is modifying technique. Uh, we'll talk a little bit that in the future. And then if things are not going successfully, we just refer back out to the physician or we go down that pathway of differential diagnosis. Maybe my diagnosis is wrong, right? And that is it for part one. Thank you, thank you so much for joining me today. In part two, we're going to be going over the exact treatments that I use over the course of time to help this individual get back to training without that hip pain. So again, thank you for your support. If you're listening to this on YouTube, please give me a thumbs up, comment, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about the way I like to go about treating folks with hip pain. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, please leave me a positive rating and review. And lastly, if you want to go that step further and really support me, consider going to fitnesspainfree.com, click on programs, click on Fitness Pain-Free Insiders Online Library. I'll give you a one-week-long trial for a dollar, super cheap, supports me a lot. Thank you very much, and I'll see you on the next one.